The following message is entitled, The Marks of Superjoy Suffering, Part 15. This message was given during the evening service on October 2, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. Sunday night series continues, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. It's series number 3 that I've entitled, A Joyful, uh, Really Joyful Suffering Salvation, verses 6 to 9. Since uh, I've told the congregation, I'm telling those on remote listening devices, uh, I won't be spending much time in any text tonight, so let's at least read the text for series number 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." We're still in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, <coughs> and <coughs> excuse me, I have outlined this verse 6 basically as an analysis of mega joy, the first part of verse 6, which is in your note sheet under Christians are to be joyful despite trials, letter A. The Christian's joy is supposed to be connected to his salvation, not good times. We analyze that. Then letter B is where we are currently, the rest of verse 6, where it says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you become distressed by various trials. There are five, four marks of suffering, Christian suffering, that are mentioned in this second part of verse 6. And we've seen um, two of them now. Mark number one, Christian suffering is temporary, shown by the statement, little while. Uh, secondly, we've seen Mark number two, Christian suffering is necessary for the Christian to grow in holiness. It's a mandate. It is required in order for us to grow if necessary. The third mark, which we are introducing tonight, is you have been distressed. Fourth mark is trials have a variety to them. Tonight, I'm going to introduce uh, this third mark, which is really not listed until the back side of the note sheet for those here in the auditorium. And I'm just dealing with the front side for now. And we need to talk about some things concerning this third mark. And then our congregation is going to take a quiz, a true-false quiz. Those of you on Zoom or on remote listening devices, if you'd like to take the quiz, you can. You'll have to listen to each one of the quiz questions or statements that I will be giving later. And then you just, on a separate piece of paper, if you have one ready to go, or you can stop this recording and get a piece of paper, and then you can write down or number 1 to 13 on that piece of paper, and then you'll just be answering the quiz questions, true or false or I don't know, T-F or I. I would represent I don't know. And that's the same as in the auditorium, as it says at the top of the quiz that we'll take in a little bit. You answer T if you believe this is a scriptural statement that is in the quiz. This is not true or false for you. This is what you think is scriptural or biblical. Answer F if you believe it is a, not a biblical statement. And answer on the blank line of each of the 13 questions I if you really don't know whether it's a biblical or not a biblical statement. Now, why am I doing this? Well, let's start with the introduction and the sermon saver itself before we get to the quiz. And let's fill some things in. Number one. 
There are four major emotional and spiritual attitudes, four major emotional and spiritual attitudes that can occur when a believer is under the hard hand of suffering from the Lord. That's number one. There are four major emotional and spiritual attitudes that can occur when a believer is under the hard hand of suffering from the Lord. Underneath point number one, letter A, and unless that suffering believer is strongly, strongly grounded in the Bible's teaching, strongly grounded in the Bible's teaching concerning the emotional and spiritual sides, again, unless that suffering believer is strongly grounded in the Bible's teaching concerning the emotional and spiritual sides of suffering, that believer will eventually spiritually shipwreck. It is inevitable as the suffering trial continues. Unless the suffering believer is strongly grounded in the Bible's teaching concerning the emotional and spiritual sides of suffering, that believer will eventually spiritually shipwreck as the suffering trial continues. The longer the trial goes, the more inevitable, in other words, it is that a believer who's not strong in the Bible's teaching on these issues, it is, becomes more and more inevitable that the Christian will shipwreck. Whoever said ignorance is bliss obviously wasn't a Christian. Letter B, biblical ignorance is the enemy. Biblical ignorance is the enemy of the believer's walk with Christ, especially when under trial or suffering. Biblical ignorance is the enemy of the believer's walk with Christ, especially when under trial or suffering. Christians, when they're suffering, they, they draw upon their own philosophies, their own belief system. And many times Christians think that that belief system is biblical when it's not. That's the purpose of the quiz. The purpose of the quiz is to reveal for you and for me, well, for you, I already know the answers, but reveal for you whether you hold to a biblical understanding of attitudes and emotions during suffering. Because in verse 6, Mark number 3 is dealing with an emotional attitude there. It's that word distress when we get to it. So, we draw on our philosophies, our feelings, our thoughts, and many times we think these are biblical because we're blind. The purpose of the quiz is to reveal whether we're blind to issues from the scripture or not, which we'll get to later. Number two, here's the problem. Number two in the note sheet. When a believer is suffering under long-term trials, four spiritual emotions and attitudes can take place. Four. Two of them, underneath number two, two of them are biblically called for when suffering. Two of them are biblically called for when suffering. And two of them are sin. It must be avoided at all costs when suffering. Four spiritual emotions or attitudes, two of them are biblically called for when suffering, and two of them are sin and must be avoided at all costs when suffering. Now, let me just stop right here. You're saying, well, what are the four? I will not give you those four until later tonight at the end of the quiz. I'm not going to give you those four spiritual emotions and attitudes right now. I will after the quiz. But there are four. It's going to become really tricky then under number two. Emotions are like wildfire. They can just seem to rage, seem to rage and come upon us without notice, like it's not even our fault, which isn't true. 
They can come, they can go. Attitudes can come and go. Emotions and attitudes, what's the difference? How do we distinguish them? How do I know if they're right or wrong? I have to be biblically grounded in order to understand what's going on with me emotionally or attitudinally. But, number three, tragically, as with most issues in the Bible, modern Christians simply do not have the biblical knowledge base or foundation, simply do not have the biblical knowledge base or foundation to be able to walk themselves through the landmines of attitudes connected to emotions that a believer allows in his or her mind when under trial. Big sentence. I'll repeat it. Tragically, as with most issues in the Bible, modern Christians simply do not have the biblical knowledge base to be able to walk themselves through the landmines of attitudes connected to emotions that a believer allows in his or her mind when under trial. I've been mentioning two words, attitudes and emotions. An attitude is a way of thinking. If I said to you, don't give me that attitude. If I said to one of our kids, don't give me that attitude. It is a way of thinking that is verbalized. It is a philosophy of the mind. Attitudes are the foundation under emotions. When I have a certain attitude or thought or perspective, it feeds the emotion. So attitudes and emotions are partners. A thought or an attitude produces an emotion or resists a sinful emotion or produces a sinful emotion. That's why I have those two words continuously mentioned. Now I want you to look at that statement number three because I wrote it very carefully. Tragically, as with most issues in the Bible, modern Christians simply do not have the biblical knowledge base to be able to walk themselves through the landmines of attitudes. Now, now notice this, connected to emotions that a believer allows, circle that word allows, in his or her mind. Notice I said that a believer allows in his or her mind, and I didn't say that a believer experiences. Okay? It doesn't say at the end of number three that a believer experiences in his or her mind when under trial. That latter phrase that I just mentioned, not in number three, that a believer experiences, that phrase that a believer experiences speaks to no choice. The phrase that I've typed in your number three that a believer allows in his or her own mind, that is a biblical phrase. All believers choose emotions and attitudes of mind that they have. We choose them. They are not, they are not in an emo- we're not in an emotional movie theater, okay, where we come in with our drinks, sit down passively, and we start watching the movie screen of our suffering lives playing out on the screen. We're sitting doing nothing watching it, and then we just start to have waves of experientially horrible or horrific sinful emotions and attitudes that just hit us like Hurricane Ian, just, just piling into us without our choice. The phrase that a believer experiences 
speaks to a movie theater mentality towards our emotions. I was sitting doing nothing and it just hit us. Or a hurricane, it's, just, uh, it's a hurricane that's just hitting me. It's not true. There are statements that we make to ourselves that feed our attitudes, our philosophies. I'm experiencing depression. I'm experiencing fear. I'm having an attack. These are all statements that speak to victimization that has nothing to do with ourselves and our choices. Those are not biblical statements. Number four. Unless a Christian is on solid biblical ground, he or she will every time wrongly judge he or she will every time... How do you like that little blank I gave you for wrongly judged? Did you like that? It's just to stick it to you. Remember, anger is a sinful emotion. Okay? So stick wrongly judge between time and thee. Good luck on that one. Draw an arrow. Wrongly judge the attitudes and emotions he or she is having. So unless a Christian is on solid biblical ground, he or she will every time wrongly judge the attitudes and emotions that he or she is having. When we don't have a biblical mindset towards emotions and attitudes of suffering, we will always gravitate towards our own thinking, our own opinions, and we will codify them. To codify them means we will make them law. They become law for us. If we don't have the mind of Christ, our own minds and philosophies become law. And these are fortresses that 2 Corinthians 10 talks about. We raise up fortresses that work against the knowledge of God. That's why they can't be broken by somebody admonishing. Because they're fortressed. So let's find out what your feet are resting on spiritually when it comes to the attitudes and emotions of suffering. So let's take the quiz. But before we do, one last warning at the bottom. A suffering Christian must know, K-N-O-W, must know biblically when his or her emotions and attitudes are righteous or unrighteous. You have to know that. That's what we're going to learn under Mark number three. When is it right? When is it wrong? When is it righteous? When it is un unrighteous emotions. Mark number three is dealing with emotions during suffering. That's what Mark number three is dealing with. That's why I'm talking about this tonight. This is where 1 Peter 1.6 is. That word distress is an emotional term. In 1 Peter 1.6. So, for those in the auditorium, we have the written quiz in front of them. We're going to take them one at a time. And I won't give you the right answers to the end, but we're going to take them one at a time. I'll give you an opportunity to think about it. And also for those either on Zoom or listening remotely on a tech device to answer these for themselves. So this, again, answer each statement true, T for true, if you think it is a biblical statement, F for false, if you think it is not a biblical statement, or I, the letter I, for I don't know if it's biblical or not. What's the point of this? What the point of this is, is it's going to show you where your thinking is concerning emotions and suffering. That's the point of this. It will reveal to you. If I have a majority of wrong answers, or I don't knows, then that tells you you're not equipped for suffering and trials. You don't have a biblical mindset. Okay? I don't want anyone to answer these out loud. I don't want any comments like, oh, well, that's plainly true or false. No, you're not to coach or help anybody else. This is just you. Don't look to somebody next to you. 
What do you think? What do you think on this one? How do you feel about this one? I don't want you doing any of that. This is between you and the Lord. I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to ask for a majority vote. We're not going to do a majority vote on biblical truth. I will tell you what the answers are that are right. You may say, I disagree with your assessment, John. Well, then you'll have an opportunity to say why. This is the rest of the sermon time tonight. All right, statement number one in the quiz. Again, those listening remotely don't need to write this down. You can just listen carefully and then answer. True, T for true, F for false, or I for I don't know if this is a biblical statement. So those in the auditorium as well. Christian emotions, number one, are morally neutral feelings and have nothing to do with spirituality. So write down T, F, or I for that one. Christian emotions are morally neutral feelings and have nothing to do with spirituality. Is that true scripturally, false scripturally, or you don't know? Put TF or I. Christian emotions are morally neutral feelings and have nothing to do with spirituality. I spent a lot of time, by the way, on this quiz. Every phrase is carefully stated. So you have to be Sherlock Holmes and read each sentence carefully, or you may misunderstand it. Okay? Christian emotions are morally neutral feelings and have nothing to do with spirituality. Number two, one, in other words, a Christian, one can judge one's spiritual life by emotions because emotions are real. Do you believe that's true, false, or I for I don't know? Scripturally true, scripturally false, or I don't know what the Bible says on this. One can judge one's spiritual life by emotions because emotions are real. T, F, or I. If you're thinking about it continuously, you probably should put I. And also, guessing doesn't mean you're arriving at a biblical mind. Do you understand? Let's say you guessed at every one of these and you got them all right. Oh, I got a biblical mind. No, you don't. You just lucked out. So unless you have a biblical way of thinking about this, a passage, a verse, an idea in your mind that can give you the answer, then getting a right answer by guessing doesn't tell you anything about your mindset, right? Okay. Number three, do you consider this a biblically true statement? Quote, I can't judge my spiritual condition by my emotions, because they are all over the map when I am suffering. I can't judge my spiritual condition by my emotions because they are all over the map when I am suffering. Do you consider that a biblically true statement or false or I don't know? If you have to guess at any of these, you need to put an eye down. In other words, if I came to you and I asked, all right, how would you defend or oppose these statements from the Bible? Okay. And if you say, well, I don't know, but I got the answer right, well, that's no good. Guessing doesn't help you any to discern your own biblical mindset. Number four, the Bible teaches us that biblical joy is not a feeling. True, false, or I don't know. The Bible teaches us that biblical joy is not a feeling. True, false, or I don't know. Number five. I should feel great guilt when I am depressed when going through suffering and trials. True, false, or I don't know. 
Number six. Christians need to feel nothing when suffering trials as a sign of faith in Christ. Christians need to feel nothing when suffering trials as a sign of faith in Christ. True, false, or I don't know. Guessing means put I down. Number seven. Faith and grief over suffering are partners. True, false, or I don't know. If you have to guess, put an eye down. True, false, or I don't know. Faith and grief over suffering are partners. Number eight. There comes a point in great suffering when a believer has a right to be fearful or depressed. There comes a point in great suffering when a believer has a right to be fearful or depressed. True, false, or I don't know. There comes a point in great suffering when a believer has a right to be fearful or depressed. A reminder again, guessing phrases on Wheel of Fortune is great and it wins you money. Guessing here, even if you get it right, doesn't mean you have a biblical mindset. Okay? There comes a point in great suffering when a believer has a right to be fearful or depressed. Number nine, my feelings when tried never just happen. I have no control over my feelings. My feelings when tried never just happen. No, excuse me, that, I, that's actually incorrect. I have control. Cross off the no. This is not inerrant. Number nine, my feelings when tried never just happen. I have control over my feelings. Otherwise, those two sentences are contradictory. I have control over my feelings. Is that true, false, or I don't know? Cross the no at the N-O out. I proofed this like 10 times and I'm still missing stuff. It's incredible. Number 10. Feeling happy because of suffering is from the Lord. True, false, or I don't know. Feeling happy because of suffering is from the Lord. Number 10. Feeling happy because of suffering is from the Lord. True, false, or I don't know. Number 11. In order to avoid horrible feelings when tried, I need to avoid the suffering that causes them. In order to avoid horrible feelings when tried, I need to avoid the suffering that causes them. True, false, or I don't know. In order to avoid horrible feelings when tried, I need to avoid the suffering that causes them. True, false, I don't know. Number 12. Joy and sadness can be partners when suffering. Joy and sadness can be partners when suffering. True, false, or I don't know. Joy and sadness can be partners when suffering. And lastly, number 13, I can grow spiritually when sad that I am suffering. True, false, or I don't know. I can grow spiritually when sad that I am suffering. True, false, or I don't know. Now, before I give you the answers, does anyone not understand any of these statements and you need the statement explained? You skipped it completely because you didn't know what it meant. Look down through the 13. You may not have known how to answer because you didn't understand the statement. 
Anybody confused about any of those statements? All right, we'll start with number one. Check your answers. I, the professor, have absolute infallible answers for you. Christian emotions are morally neutral feelings and have nothing to do with spirituality. The answer is F, false. In fact, I have found no morally neutral emotions anywhere in the Bible. They fall on one side of righteousness or unrighteousness. Unless we're going to talk about something like, I felt a thrilling feeling on a, on a ride at the amusement park, of course. You know, excitement's riding a ride or something. But we're talking about church Christian living. When we talk about Christian living and the Christian life. There's nothing morally neutral. Take anger, for instance. There's actually a sinful emotional anger and a righteous emotional anger, and you better know the difference between the two. And Ephesians talks about it. So the answer is false. Emotions are not morally neutral. Anybody want to refute that or have a question about number one? You can refute it. I don't mind. I'll just say you're wrong. I could be missing something on these. I already had a mistake with that uh, number nine as far as the sentence typed out. So, Number two, one can judge one's spiritual life by emotions because emotions are real. The answer is true. Emotions aren't fake. They're not something from the outside. They don't just happen to you. Something in your mind and mind produces them. Knowledge is the locomotive of the train. Emotions are the caboose. How we think is how we feel. How do we know that? Ephesians 5. When your mind is spirit controlled, it changes things. It changes how you feel. Okay? Yes, yeah, some of the fruit do. Um, certainly love, there's an emotional aspect to love. And there is sinful emotional love and there is unsinful or righteous emotional love. So you can take every one of the fruit of the Spirit and say that there is possibly a secondary emotion attached. Some of them are just outright attitudes. Any other questions or comments on number two that you have? Number three, do you consider this a biblically true statement? I can't judge my spiritual condition by my emotions because they're all over the map when I'm suffering. And the idea is, uh, it's just, I, I, I'm, I'm just swinging from emotions. I can't even judge this. The answer is false. When we have rapid emotions, even contradictory, it's a sign of enslavement. We do things more quickly because of habit. Habit produces rapidity of sin. Habit can produce rapidity of righteous decision-making. And so the rapidity of emotional swings is just an evidence of spiritual immaturity. And of course, the question is big for number three, then how do I deal with this? You have to take the emotion, each of them. Let's say I'm swinging from... <laughs> It's just swinging back and forth from happy to crying. Well, first I'd check what you've been eating or drinking lately. That would probably be a good thing to check. But uh, besides that, you have to take each one. Why am I laughing? What is my thinking process there, scripturally or unscripturally? And how come it polarizes into crying? 
You ladies, some of you could very well be convinced, why did I just cry? There's no reason for it. No, you don't just cry for there's no reason. And you'd say, that's just a male statement right there. You don't understand me. I don't have to understand you to know that that's not true. Okay, unless there is a biological component to this. Let's say you're taking some medication and all of a sudden the medication is making you be suicidally depressed. So we're not talking about medicationally induced emotions. Okay? Apart from that medical issue. If you're taking an emotion that makes you want to jump off a building, you need to go back to the doctor. Don't come to me for counseling. This thing's wrecking me, this emotion. is caused by this medication. It's different. Apart from that, though, if there's just a swing going on, it's an attitude and a mindset that is just rapidly doing that. And you know it. You think a certain thought, then you feel uplifted, then you think another thought, and you feel like you're going to crash. We know that works that way. Number four. The Bible teaches us that biblical joy is not a feeling. The answer is true. That's where many will stumble on that one. Joy is an attitude, an uplifting, encouraging attitude that God up there is in control. Does it ever have a feeling attached? Of course. It's going to kill depression. So peace kills fear, joy kills depression. So hope is a synonymous term for joy, and hope is an attitude. It's a thought process. Yes. Uh -huh. Exactly. Well, it comes from walking by the Spirit. But a primary, we can have joy without suffering. We just rejoice in our God's goodness to us and his blessings. But it is definitely needed, as we're seeing in 1 Peter 1, that this joy in verse 6, greatly rejoice even though now you're suffering. So here it is suffering joy that is needed here. So you're right. It's, also notice you've got two seemingly contradictory, if we're going to call joy an emotion, then we've got somewhat of a contradiction in verse 6. Because as we'll see, the word distress means grief. So how can you have happy feelings of joy and sad feelings at the same time? It doesn't work that way. So this is predominantly an attitude of mind, joy is, that can also include some feelings that would seem to contradict joy, but they don't. Yes. Yes, you're right. Right, right. Joy is just great upliftment over all that God is doing for me. Yes. So joy and suffering is hope. Joy in non-suffering is gratitude and just, I can't believe you're doing this for me and giving me all this. Especially when he doesn't strike us down, we sin like crazy repeatedly and then we're ready to duck. And mercy withholds wrath. <laughs> There's no suffering there. I'm just thankful that you withheld it. So. Yes. Love, joy, peace. You can't be loving and unjoyful. You can't be peaceful and hateful. You can't be full of peace with no joy. All nine go together. They're one fruit. You can't, have, you can't be absent any of the nine. Last one's loss of self-control. I'm completely out of control with lust and have no self-control, but I love Jesus and have great joy and peace. So they all go together.
but especially joy and peace feed each other in the midst of trials. Yes. Those are the partners of suffering, attitudes, peace, and joy. Number five, is that where we're at? I should feel great guilt when I'm depressed, when going through suffering and trials. The answer is absolutely true. You run into suicidals, and I've counseled them in the past, a suicidal person. I hate life. I hate it. It's so terrible. Nobody cares for me. And you have to confront that. It's counterintuitive. You would think, oh, no, don't talk to them how bad their life is. But you tell a suicidal, oh, everything's fine. Your life isn't bad. Have nice, happy thoughts. That's not how you deal with suicide. You say, yeah, life is suffering. is hard. And you seem to be having some terrible things in your life. Don't go like this. Somebody actually agrees with me. But, but depression is narcissism. And for a believer, this is extremely deadly. I have no hope. Well, even if the worst case scenario is your suffering kills you, where do you go? Well, heaven, but, and I'll always give the but. Well, I just can't take this life anymore. So you want to kill yourself. Now we're raising assurance of salvation issues because aren't you afraid of going to hell? See, most people think, oh, I've got to pat the hand on the, the, the person that's the victim there. They're wanting to kill themselves and they really, really don't want to be depressed. Knock it off. That's not true. And I've had people tell me, oh, you're such a, such a blunt, heartless Christian counselor. No, I'm telling truth, and truth is the only way to have victory. Okay. Any comments on any of these first five so far? Or any questions? Number six, Christians need to feel nothing when suffering trials is a sign of faith in Christ. This is one of my great tempting sins. The answer is false. This is, this is where I go when my carnal nature is going. Okay, I got a lot of suffering and issues in life. I'm Vulcan. I'm going Vulcan right here. No feeling. I don't care about anything. I'm just going to stone up. That's not a proper response. Stoning up one's feelings certainly isn't, you know, hoping in Christ and trusting his sovereignty. Killing off emotion. It is possible. And this is another one that uh, is very important, especially from the male mindset. When males tend to become hardened towards everything, that's their choice. And women, you know that. You're so hard. Why don't you stop that? Then it's true for you women. If you're just everywhere with your emotions, then that's your choice as well. If I'm a feminine and my emotions are wild out of control, that's my choice. And if I am a moron male, and I don't care what anyone says, I don't care about anything anymore, go on, nuke them all. Okay, then that's a choice too. Killing emotions is a choice. Rabid, out of control, plague emotions is a choice. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says otherwise. And anger is one of the strongest ones. You need to do a little study. If you think that, that emotions are not your choice or my choice, you need to study Ephesians 4 where it talks about the horrific sin of sinful anger, which is one of the most powerful emotions we have. And how the Bible doesn't give any quarter to that. None whatsoever. Any questions on that one? I've run into Christians like this. Well, I don't feel anything. Yeah, you know, we're going through misery. What do you mean you don't feel anything? The issue is they don't care. I don't care. Well, why don't you care? Because they've given up. Okay, so emotionalist response to suffering is just the backside of depression. Okay. Number seven, faith and grief over suffering are partners. True. That's true. And it's right in verse six. 
Okay? Right in verse 6, as we'll see. Faith and grief over suffering are partners. This is the why you can't say that joy is predominantly happy. How can you be happy and grieving at the same time? That's schizoid. But you can be bawling your eyes out with grief over a trial and uplifted in joy. And this comes back to the issue of false guilt that we'll be dealing with in this mark number three. I feel so guilty that I'm sad over my trials. What's the difference between sadness and depression? I don't know. Well, you better find out what the difference is. What's the difference between grief and depression? We have to find that out. What's the difference between anxiety and joy and anxiety and distress? We need to find that out. We have to separate out these emotions to figure out which are righteous and which aren't. Any questions or comments? Number, yes. Yes, he's grieving. Now, do we think he was sitting in that sewer pit of ashes? I'm so happy. Everyone's died. Everything's destroyed. I feel like death warmed over, but I'm happy. I'm joyful. No. God did not con... Right. But it doesn't stop the sadness and grief. Christ was crying in the Garden of Gethsemane, wasn't he? So we need to separate this out and figure it out. Number eight, there comes a point in great suffering when a believer has a right to be fearful or depressed. Of course that's false. That's probably the easiest one on the list. If you wrote T or I on it, you're gone. You really have no idea what's going on in your life because, listen, this is the road to excusing all sin. You should write that under number eight. I put up with this long enough. I'm unloading you, husband or wife. I have a right to be happy. Out you go, I'm getting a divorce. Or, I'm not putting up with that. My neighbor, my boss, a family member. How much can a man take? The length of suffering means I can divest myself of these issues. No. And so when a person comes to the point of view of this has been too long, they're basically attacking God. You don't know any better. If this was... Stopped, I wouldn't be fearful or depressed. Right, it's necessary. We don't have a right to sin. Number eight is a right to sin. I don't have a right to sin. Number nine, my feelings when tried just never just happen. I have control over my feelings. This is the one because I messed up the sentence. You probably were confused, but the answer to that is true. My feelings when tried never just happen. You will be convinced that it does. And this is true with any sin. Let's take lust. Lust is like this. You're sitting minding your own business, right? Sitting in a room, staring at the wall. All of a sudden you have a lustful thought. Whoa, where did that come from? I wasn't looking at anything. I wasn't thinking anything. It just happened. Satan, you need to stop putting lustful thoughts into my mind. Or I should do this. Satan, you need to... It's our minds. We're wired. That's your sin nature saying... Hey, ding, 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 I'm going to just, you, John, or you guys, I'm just going to put a lustful thought in your mind. It comes from you and I. It doesn't come from the outside. Feelings don't just happen. Any questions on that one? Number 10. Feeling happy because of suffering is from the Lord. The answer is false. The biblical word for happiness is not the biblical word for joy. And this is a lot of false guilt. 
I gotta stop crying over my trials in front of others. They're gonna think I'm a terrible sinner. No, you're not. Unless the crying is driven by something else other than sadness over the trial. Okay? Now, tears by themselves don't tell us what emotion you're feeling. You could be having tears because you've given up. Or you could be having tears of joy that I'm suffering for Christ. Or you could be having tears that are basically saying, this trial really hurts me, but I'm rejoicing in Christ. Tears don't tell us anything. It's the underlying motivation behind them. I just said emotions are not morally neutral, but tears are contextual. What did Esau have? What did he seek with tears? But Yeah, but he couldn't find it. So even saying God and crying to God, I'm such a sinner, those tears don't mean you're really repentant. It's good to shut off the tears when you're repenting over sin sometime and analyze the guilt. The guilt is the test, not the tears. Number 11, in order to avoid horrible feelings when tried, I need to avoid the suffering that causes them. This is endemic to the entire Christian church today. This is why we flee neighborhoods, churches close, we quit jobs, we leave our spouses or whatever. It's this, this incredibly strongholded idea that the only way to stop bad feelings is to avoid the cause, and that's suffering. Suffering is, write it down next to number 11, suffering is never the cause of sinful feelings. Never the cause. It's a spiritual problem, not a circumstantial one. This is a strongholded idea that Christians just can't unleash from, un, un, can't divest themselves from. So that's false. Number 11 is false. Number 12, joy and sadness can be partners when suffering. True, that's, again, that's just a reworking of number 7. It's, this is right in verse 6. And there are other verses that we're going to see that tell us that crying and joy are partners if the crying is for the right reason. We have to figure out, well, when, when, is, when is my sadness? If it's sadness, I'm trapped in a trial and I'm crying because I'm trapped. That's faithlessness. If I'm sad over the pain, there's so much pain and sufferings. A wayward loved one or a, a, a friend who's not saved, I have such grief, or a family member that's backslidden. This is terrible grief. Not, that's not evil. That's not wrong. Oh, you should never walk around with a sad look on your face. Really? Because this world stinks. So the sadness has to be defined, what the root line undercurrent is. I'm sad because God has abandoned me. That's, that's sinful. I'm sad because a loved one is going to hell. That is not sinful. If you don't have that sadness, you're godless. So number 12 is true. Any questions on these so far? Comments? And number 13, I can grow spiritually when, I, when sad that I am suffering. The answer is true. 12 and 13 were cheat. They were basically the same things reworded. I can grow spiritually when sad that I am suffering. Now I said at the introduction... If you go back to the front side of your sermon note sheet to conclude, I said under points one and two that there are four spiritual emotions and attitudes that can take place, and Christians have a very hard time sorting these four out. These are the four major emotions connected to attitudes that occur when we're suffering greatly. Write them down on the bottom of your quiz, okay? 
And this is where we get shipwrecked. We confuse these four something horribly. Number one is joy. Number two is grief. That's that word distress in verse six. Number three is fear and slash anxiety. I've already taught you that fear and anxiety are basically synonymous in the Bible. So number one, joy. Number two, grief. Number three, fear and anxiety. Number four, depression. Two are sinful. Two are righteous. Let's make this easy. Which two are sinful? Yeah, so which of the two that are righteous? Mark number three is not dealing with, Mark number three of suffering is not dealing so much with guilt as we start it next Sunday night. It will be dealing with false guilt. And false guilt can shipwreck you as fast as true guilt. Okay? And the false guilt is that I'm so sad over this trial. But I have to distinguish between sadness and anxiety and sadness and depression. We need to do an analysis of that. You understand that if you're out of control with your emotions rapidly hitting you, you have a very bad situation where you can't analyze what's going on emotionally. Now add up your wrongs. I hope you circled the ones you got wrong. You got them wrong if you guessed at everything, even if you got them right. Then you're a shipwreck in this issue of suffering. If the majority of your answers, because you had a firm biblical answer in your mind for them, if a majority of them are true, or, or that you got them that were correct, then you're handling trials pretty good right now. I think to get 7 out of 13 correct because you had biblical answers means, well, you've got some tools in your arsenal, but 7 out of 13 in any college test is still failure, even though it's a majority. From sitting under my teaching for years, everyone in this room, and maybe Steve excluded because he hasn't been coming here that long, but he may, I don't know where else he's been sitting under teaching. He may have got it somewhere else. But sitting under the biblical teaching, not just mine, but Sunday school and, and other contexts, women's ministries. If you're sitting in this church, we should have gotten all these right. Except if it was a misunderstanding of how I was typing it. So, if you want to know whether you're handling suffering good, here's how you figure it out. You want from your emotions. If you say this, I had to guess at most of these. I didn't even, I, I thought instinctively that they were true and I was correct and I got the correct answer, but I really don't have any answers from the Bible. Then you're just like a wild horse in a corral. You're still in a horse, but you're wild. And there's just a context coming where the gates will be opened up and this, you're a wild horse, you're going to run out on the range. To guess right answers without having a biblical basis for them means that your mind is floating at random and doesn't have a mind of Christ. If the majority of your answers were incorrect or you put I don't knows, then there's your answer why you can't handle suffering very well. It has nothing to do with the context of circumstances in your life. It's that you do not have a biblical mindset concerning suffering or the emotions that, are, that you have chosen to partake of with the suffering. This is a spiritual problem of not obeying the word of God and studying the word of God and submitting to it. So there you have it. Ignorance is not bliss. Even if you got them all correct, 
because you guessed at them, that's not good. You're a wreck with suffering emotionally. If you barely got a majority right or a minority right, then you are a wreck emotionally and spiritually because the Bible is not ruling and Christ is not Lord of your life right now. And if you got a good majority of them correct, then you're handling suffering, you're persevering, and that's by the grace of God. We take no credit for that. If you have any other questions, you can come and see me afterward or anything you want to refute in private. <laughs> that's fine. Father, thank you very much for this time together where we can look to applicational issues. And now next Sunday night, give us clarity. Help me to be clear as we drive into these four issues. Fears, depression, joy, and sadness. How, Lord, can we have a clear understanding of our emotions so we have no false guilt and we have no true guilt that is not repented of? We want to have guilt that is true, that we repent of, and we want to renounce false guilt, dear Lord. And we need to examine this. We need your power to help us to almost like in a sterile laboratory examine the rolling thunder of our emotions. And what in my thinking is driving this? I'm not sitting in a movie theater, Lord, just passively reclining as the theater impacts me with emotions that I had no choice on. We're not in an Ian hurricane, Lord, where our emotions are a hurricane that just strikes us. They are not attacking us. They're, they're brought up from within. And we know, Lord, your word tells us in 1 John 5 that Satan cannot enter into our minds. So Satan certainly is not driving us against our choice or take of sinful emotions. I would suspect that all of us have to meditate on this quiz and think about it a little bit more than just 45 minutes tonight. We need some sobriety, meditation, and an analysis of what is going on with our emotions and why do we tend, Lord, to excuse them so easily. Or for the hypersensitive Christian who sees everything that they're feeling or doing as sin, any emotion that isn't a smile is sinful. If there's anyone here that holds to that view, that if I'm not smiling, I'm sinning. If I don't have a happy look on my face, I'm sinning. That hypersensitivity is a false guilt. Use this ongoing series starting next Sunday night to give us biblical clarity so we don't feel guilt when we shouldn't and we do feel guilt when we should. In Jesus' name, amen.